we're going to be continuing through our series this morning called The King and His Cross. So we're spending time looking in the Gospel of Mark at Jesus and just who he is, our King and our Saviour. Um, and this morning we're picking up again in Matthew, uh, Mark, we're not in Matthew, but in Mark, Mark 5, 21 to 43. Um, and I've called this talk, Just Believe, because this whole passage kind of deals with the idea of faith and our world wrestles and struggles with the idea of faith, doesn't it? I mean, whole books have been written about how faith is irrational or um, ridiculous. And, but of course, we know that it isn't ridiculous. Faith isn't ridiculous. Faith is relevant and real, and it's life-giving and life-changing when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at faith and trust in Jesus. Um, but as I've been preparing for this talk this week, there's a little well-known phrase that's been running through my head. Um, and it's a phrase that I used uh, in this week, I'm ashamed to say, in a conversation with my husband. So I wonder how many of us know the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. How many of us have had, heard that phrase, had that phrase spoken to us, said that phrase to other people, I'll believe it when I see it. And as soon as those words flew out my mouth in my conversation with Scott, immediately the Lord started speaking to me. And I was like, oh. You know, I realized as soon as I said it that <clears throat> it's a phrase that is so, it's so negative, isn't it? I'll believe it when I see it. You know, it, it brings in uncertainty. It brings in doubt. It, it kind of pushes down expectation. Um, at its worst, <laughs> we're trying to shame someone or into doing something or seeing something that we want to happen. Um, and I guess at its best, what we're basically saying is we don't believe that it's possible at all. I'll believe it when I see it. I don't believe that it's possible at all. And just this week, I've been thinking about that phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. And I just think that there's something in this passage this morning about faith where God just wants us to flip the script a little bit. And rather than saying, I'll believe it when I see it, to flip it and say, I'm believing that I'll see it. I'm believing that I'll see it. And I suddenly started thinking, as soon as I'd said those words to Scott, as soon as they'd left my mouth, God started speaking to me about that phrase, which I think I'll probably never use again now. I won't be able to after this phrase. But as soon as I started thinking, gosh, if I'd said to Scott, I'll be I'm believing that I'll see it, he would have left so in a, such a different place. He would have left feeling built up. He would have left feeling encouraged. He would have left with a sense of expectation. He might even have left with a fresh motivation to action, to see that thing happen. And so I just think this morning there's that flipping of that phrase, not I'll believe it when I see it, but I'm believing that I'll see it. It's different, isn't it? You feel different when you think about it. So I wonder what things we maybe need to flip the script with this morning. You know, I don't know what it is in our lives. It's maybe our jobs. It's maybe... Um, how we feel about ourselves, it's maybe our relationships with our family, with our friends. But I just think that there's space for us this morning to have a fresh injection of faith where God wants to renew and to revive and to restore faith in our hearts where we can stand and say, I'm believing that I'll see it instead of I'm believe it, I'll believe it when I see it. So we're going to read together. We're going to read from Mark 5. I've got about three different books up <laughs> I'm going to try and balance everything precariously on this day. And I'm also going to set my timer because 
I don't trust myself. I like to make sure that I'm on time. So we're going to be reading from Mark 5. Um, if you're not sure where that is in the Bible, it's kind of towards the later back of the Bible, the later back, the back of the Bible. Um, it comes after Matthew. It's the second book in the New Testament. And if you're not sure how to find it, um, the Bible is just like any other book. And it has little pages at the front that tell you where you can find um, the chapters. So if you don't know how to navigate a Bible, you can just use it like any other book. It's got a contents page and you can flick to there. And just keep flicking until you find the number five and then find the verse 21. It'll come up on the screen as well so we can read it together. Okay. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> I love that last verse. <laughs> like, make sure she's fed, guys. Give her something to eat. Amen. Okay, so... In this passage, it's clear to see how faith becomes a clear focus for us. Um, Jesus says to the woman who comes and touches him and is healed, he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. And when he's speaking to later to Jairus, when the, peop- when the people from the household come to him, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And so there's a, an affirmation of faith where he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And there's a command of faith where he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Um, 
And so what is Jesus affirming and what is he commanding? And just before we kind of go into that, I've got three points in true City Church fashion that we're going to go through together. But just before we do that, I just want to say a little bit, tiny little moment about what he's not saying. Um, So it could be easy to read this passage and leave thinking that the only reason that Jesus um, did these things that he did was that because people had enough faith, was because their faith was at 100%, and so that was the only reason why it happened. And I think it would be really unhelpful for us to leave thinking that, purely because it would then leave us thinking that if our faith is small, or if our faith is sometimes struggling, then that means we're not going to see Jesus move. And actually, when we look earlier in Mark, Scott spoke on a passage where there were four guys who carried their pal to Jesus, He was paralyzed completely. They dug through the roof of the house and they lowered him in. And Jesus looks at the four guys and he says, he sees their faith. He sees the faith of the man's friends. And he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And he heals him. So we don't know anything about whether the guy who was on the mat had any faith at all. We don't know. He could have had no faith. But it was his friend's faith that made a difference for him. And the same can be true of us. Our friend's faith can make a difference for us. um, And our faith can make a difference for others. Later in Mark, we're going to come to it as we look through this passage. But in Mark 9, there's a moment where there's a a father whose son is um, afflicted with a demon spirit. And it's causing him to hurt himself, cause pain to himself. And the father um, cries out to Jesus and he says, if you can heal him, will you? And Jesus looks at the man and says, if I can, if if anything is possible for those who believe. And the man responds by saying, I do believe, (laughs) but help my unbelief. You know, his faith isn't perfect. His faith is small. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't turn around and say, well, you've got unbelief in there. So, no, sorry, just going to walk off and leave your son. He doesn't do that. Jesus heals his son. His son is completely set free um, from that demon spirit, and he goes away from that place restored and whole. And so I just think in those passages, there's also a lesson on faith about how there are times when our faith struggles, there is time when our faith isn't perfect, but our faith can make a difference for others, and Jesus sees our struggling faith, and he still hears us, and he still meets with us. Um, All of that to say... We live in a world where sometimes we see things happen and sometimes we don't see things happen. We live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And what we mean by that is when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom is at hand. And what he meant by that phrase was, the kingdom is near, but it's also not near. And so we live in this place where we see God moving and breaking out now. And there are sometimes times where we know that we haven't yet that it's still in the future, that we've still to see him move. And so we live in that tension of the now and the not yet. And so I don't want us to leave this morning thinking, gosh, if my faith isn't 100% perfect all the time, I'm never going to see Jesus move. That's not what the Bible, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches us. It shows us his mercy and his grace and his love for us um, and that he takes our struggling faith and builds us up and strengthens us and meets with us anyway. But there are lessons about faith in this passage. So we, as followers of Jesus, are called to a life of faith. And I believe that this passage has a few key truths that it can teach us about um, faith this morning. So the first one is 
Faith is confidence. Do you like my little guy? <laughs> Sorry, I take great, I take a lot of time over my pictures, so just appreciate them, take them in. Faith is confidence. I'm so sorry. I should never say these things out loud. Scott always tells me off, but I do. There we go. Um, So both the individuals in this passage, they demonstrate faith in Jesus. Um, And when the woman comes to Jesus, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And that word faith there, that word that appears in this passage, faith, is from the Greek word pistis, pistis. And what that word actually means is trust, strong belief, assurance, conviction. That's what that word means. So what he's saying to her in that moment when he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. He's saying, your trust in me, your strong belief in me, your confidence in me, your conviction in me, that is what has healed you. So he's not praising a superstitious belief where he's like, yeah, well done for believing that clothes can make a difference. You know, she went up to him going to touch his, touch his cloak. He's not affirming that. He's not affirming um, the fact that she lost all faith in everything else, that everything else had completely failed her, and so she turned to him as a last resort. That's not what he's affirming. What he's affirming, what he says to her, your faith has healed you, is her confidence in him. Her confidence in him. So he's recognizing and celebrating the fact that she has confidence in who he is, so who he is, but also what he is able to do. And with Jairus, he encourages him to keep believing, doesn't he? He says, don't be afraid, just believe. And what he's saying to him in that moment is forget what these people are saying to you about your circumstance and remember your confidence in me and who I am and in what I am able to do. I am Jesus, who I am and what I am able to do. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Now, faith This is Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we don't yet see. I'm believing that I'll see it. Do you hear it? (laughs) I'm believing that I'll see it. Faith is confidence in Christ. I just wanted to read this little quote. That's why I'm waving this book around (laughs) because it just remembered it this morning. And it says this, Faith believes and obeys God because faith knows that God cannot lie, cannot make a mistake, cannot do wrong, cannot be defeated, cannot be surpassed. Faith is confidence in God, who he is and what he is able to do. I'm believing that I'll see it. Now, it's likely that Jairus is one of the leaders of the synagogue. He'd probably seen some of the healings and the the miracles that Jesus had performed um, or perhaps even that he'd had direct contact with people who'd been healed and received ministry from Jesus. The woman has heard about Jesus. She's heard of the different things that he's done. And we're told that both of them are coming from situations that are totally beyond the help of man. So she's coming from a place where she spent everything that she ever had. None of it has made any difference. No man has been able to help her. And he's coming from a place where his daughter is going to certainly die if she does not meet with Jesus. But both of them are not coming to Jesus as their last hope. They're coming to Jesus as their best hope. Jesus is always our best hope. And so faith is confidence in that fact. Faith is confidence in the fact that Jesus is our best hope. 
our very best hope. Um, for our wedding, we had a strong bunting theme. I don't really know how it happened, but it kind of just evolved, the bunting theme. And before long, our house back home, the living room became like a little bunting workshop. And, you know, but by the end of the, the summer, we had 57 meters of bunting just <laughs> everywhere, all over the place. Um, and we had a person who helped us plan our wedding. He was called Frank. Do we have any Fathers of the Bride movie fans in here? Oh, that's so disappointing. You all have to go and watch that movie. So there's this guy in there. He's a wedding planner called Frank. That's very funny. Um, anyway, we had a guy called Frank who, was, who helped us plan our wedding. Amazing guy. We could never have done it without him. But he tasked Scott. Now, those of you who know Scott will imagine how Scott met this task. But he tasked Scott with um, constructing a bunting um, centerpiece for the church. <laughs> so when he told Scott that, Scott was like, you, you're actually joking, aren't you? Like, you don't actually want me to do that. And he was like, no, Scott, we must have a bunting centerpiece. <laughs> so Scott, off he went, with due diligence, went and figured out how he's going to do this um, bunting centerpiece. And, you know, he thought, I'll just stick some sticks in, like, soil, you know, and that'll be fine. I'll hang it up. And Frank was like, no, 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 Scott. You must not be using the soil. You have to use quickset concrete. And Scott was like, quickset concrete. So he went off and he got these bamboo poles and he got these metal pots and he's standing there with his quickset concrete hoping that it doesn't set before he's finished mixing it. And he pours it in. And right enough, when he put the bamboo poles in, the quickset concrete set quickly. And the, the poles were held in place. They were really sturdy. They were strong. The bunting was tied on with due diligence from Scott and placed at the front of the church. And, you know, those poles stayed up through the whole service, which was amazing. Uh, they survived little knocks and bumps. So even when they, if someone tipped them over, we were able to write them up again. Whereas if we'd used something um, less sturdy, like soil or sand, it wouldn't have held up. It wouldn't have stayed straight. It would have tipped all over the place as soon as someone knocked it or bumped it. But that concrete was sturdy and solid. And we are all asked to place our faith in the concrete of Christ. Like, he is solid. He is so solid. He doesn't move. He doesn't shift. When bumps come, he doesn't tip out over the side and, and you know, forget who he is and, and become all disorientated. He is solid. We're asked to put our confidence in who he is and what he has done, and all that he said he will do. Christ is totally solid. And maybe some of us, we just really need to hear that this morning. You know, Jesus isn't going to change on you. He's not going to suddenly become a different person. He's not going to suddenly go back on all his promises. You might have experienced that. That's not true of Christ. Christ is faithful to every single word that he says, and every single thing that he does, and every single thing that he says he's going to do. That's just who he is. He can't be anything other than that. Faith isn't a superstitious belief. Our faith isn't a superstitious belief that if we do everything in exactly the right way, at exactly the right time, that all this amazing stuff is suddenly going to happen. It's not a superstitious belief like that. And neither is our faith believing just being positive all the time. You know, just having positive thinking and positive vibes. And that's not what our faith is. Our faith is confidence in Christ. It's about looking to Jesus, who he is for us, what he says to us, what he's telling us that he's doing. 
So I just want to ask the question this morning, where is our confidence? Where is our confidence placed this morning? When we look at the future, what do we find ourselves rooted in? You know, are we, are we rooted in our jobs? Are we rooted in our relationships? Because we have this person in our lives, so things will be a certain way. I believe that this passage reminds us that our faith isn't based on our best ability, our best efforts, our best sermons, our highest number of serving hours, but it's rooted completely in our confidence in Jesus. So faith is confidence. The second truth that this passage gives us is that faith is movement. Faith is movement. So in the life of Jairus and in this woman, we see that both of them start taking steps towards Jesus. And these are deliberate, intentional steps towards Jesus. Jairus didn't just happen upon Jesus. He didn't just bump into him and be like, oh, hey, hey, funny I should meet you here. Like, I need you. I need your help. He went out to look for him. He was actively seeking him. And the same with the woman who went up and touched him in the crowd. Now, it says in this passage that there was a large crowd. The best way to imagine that, if you can, how many of us here have had experience of a concert where we've had to stand and there's been lots of people pressed about us and you had genuine thoughts where you were like, gosh, I might not be able to breathe in the next five minutes. How many of us had those kind of experiences? Okay, so a lot of us. That's probably the best comparison that we can make for the crowd that was following Jesus. So we're not just talking like 10 folk, you know, just fumbling about him. It was a huge crowd. People were pressing him, pushing him, jostling him. And yet, even in the midst of this whole crowd, Jesus is able to recognize this woman's touch. Why? Because her touch wasn't just an accident. It wasn't just like, oh, someone bashed her and she bumped into him. She was reaching out with deliberate intent where she was like, I am going to touch him because I need him because my confidence is placed in this man here. Her touch was deliberate and intentional. It wasn't accidental. Jairus' confidence in Jesus led to movement. He went, he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. That's what he did. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus. He said, I need you. I need your help. I have nothing else. I need you. And this woman, she made a deliberate, intentional reaching out to touch Christ. Her confidence in him led to a movement towards him. And with Jairus, you know, this moment comes again for him right after the moment with the woman's healing. And some people from his household come up to him and they say, your daughter is dead. Don't bother him anymore. He has a choice to make in that moment. Is he going to, Jesus says to him, and I love, I love that line in this passage because Jesus looks at him. He doesn't bother about a single other person in the whole crowd. Jesus looks right at Jairus and he says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. I just imagine it, Jesus looking right into his eyes, you know. Don't be afraid, just believe. And in that moment, Jairus has a choice. He can either choose to stop, to stand still, to turn away because of fear. Or he can choose, as Jesus says to him, just believe. He takes the steps with Jesus. I'm going to go to the house. I'm going to go to the house with Jesus because Jesus tells me that that's what I'm supposed to do. Faith leads to movement. And, you know, I can just imagine it in this passage. Faith is movement forwards. Faith is always moving us outwards or moving us forwards. Whereas fear, this passage makes it clear, fear wants to keep us stuck, wants to keep us still. You know, you can imagine this woman as she was getting ready to come um, to speak to Jesus. She had so many reasons why she shouldn't have. 
You know, she was, she was hemorrhaging, she was bleeding, which at that time the law meant that she was unclean. That could have been her first step back. Well, I'm unclean, how are people going to treat me? Do you know? She could have had another step back when she thought about all the, the fact that hundreds of other people hadn't, or many other people hadn't been able to help her. What's the point in trying? What's the point in trying? But she doesn't. She thinks, Jesus is my best hope. Step forward. She thinks, I am unclean, but Jesus, I believe that he has the ability to make me clean. Step forward. And it's the same with Jairus. Like, he could have had that moment right when the people came to him and said, your daughter has died. My daughter has died. There could have been other reasons why Jairus took steps back. He was a synagogue leader. What will people think of me going to Jesus? That wouldn't have been looked on well. These steps of, these fears would have pushed him back, but his faith pushes him forward. I believe that Jesus is my best hope. I'm going to trust in what Jesus asked me to do. Fear looks to hold us back. Faith looks to push us forward. Um, James 2.14 says this, or 14.17, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith is movement. Faith requires us to do things, to step out. Long time ago now. I was going to say a couple of years ago, but it's not. When I was, um, had just finished university, I went on a trip around um, Southeast Asia and New Zealand and Japan. And if you would like lessons on how to not plan a trip um, by yourself to the other side of the world for the first time, I am your person to ask, okay? I can give you heaps of pointers about what not to do when you're traveling on your own. Um, but one of the things I did when I was away, I went to New Zealand and I got caught up in this laid-back New Zealand vibe of like, yeah, let's just do everything. Um, and before I knew it, I was signed up for a skydive um, in the South Island over this amazing glacier and this incredible mountain range. Um, and the whole way there, like before you knew it, I was off the bus and in the van and in this orange jump- jumpsuit and on a plane. And even as I was on the plane, I was thinking... Yeah, but I don't actually have to do it. Um, like, I can, I can definitely still back out. But no, everything within me, as soon as I had to lean out of the plane and I could feel the full weight of my body pulling down on these two metal clips that were attaching me to the person with the parachute, I remember thinking, oh, goodness, this was not the best decision. Everything within me, my fear was screaming out, get back in the plane, get back in the plane. And I couldn't, so we jumped. And I saw this incredible mountain range, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life, just before we went through the clouds, just the snow-capped mountains. And then as we were going down, just the adrenaline and the rush, and then to see the whole view as we were coming down in the parachute, it was incredible. You see where I'm going with this, but faith looks to keep us stuck, whereas faith looks to take us on adventures with Jesus. Faith looks to push us out. Faith is movement. We have to take the risks. Fear whispers to us, it's not worth it. Don't take the risk. Who knows what's going to happen? Better to play it safe. Faith says, go, take the risk. 
jump. Just wait and see what Jesus is going to do. Watch, see what he's capable of. And we can take faith, not blindly and naively thinking, oh no, I don't know what's going to happen. We do know what's going to happen. We know that our God is good. We know that our God is faithful. We know that our God loves to heal. We know that our God works all things for the good of those who love him. We know that our God has plans and purposes to prosper us, to give us a hope and a good future. These are all things that we know of. So when we step out in faith adventures, we're moving forwards, not into some unknown, murky craziness, although sometimes it feels like that. There are certainties that underpin the adventure of faith that we can hang our hats on as we move forward. Faith is about moving forward. It's about movement. And I just want to ask us us to ask the question this morning and I mean really ask it this isn't just me like you know that great speaking tool just asking a rhetorical question because that's a good thing to do when you talk this is me really asking this question because I really believe that the Lord would ask us this question what faith adventure is Jesus inviting you into today what is he asking you to step out in what movement of faith is he asking you to do? And for some of us this morning, it might be the very first movement of faith to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to trust. I'm going to put my confidence in you. I'm going to believe that you've saved me. I'm going to believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you've died for my sins, and I receive that truth. For some of us, that might be the step of faith that he's asking us to take this morning. But for others of us, it might be to pray for our colleague at work who we know has a terrible family situation and is really struggling. It might be to visit with our neighbors who we know are really lonely. What is the step of faith that God is asking you to do? Faith is movement. Just keep that in our hearts even as we go into this week. What is Jesus asking you to do? So faith is confident in Christ. Faith is movement. It's always moving us out to reach out and to share the kingdom. And then finally, faith is powerful isn't it? (laughs) When you look at this passage, there's no doubt that faith is powerful. Like, we see this woman who had given up every single thing that she ever had. She'd spent all. Nobody could help her. In fact, it said that she suffered and got worse at the hands of people who tried to help her. And then we have Jairus, whose daughter, 12 years old, she's just at the prime of her life in those days, and she is given back to them. She's given back to her family and her life is given back to her. You know, faith is powerful. The life and the wholeness of Jesus left his body and the sickness and disease left her body. That's what happened. The sickness and disease got pushed out and Jesus' healing and wholeness came right into her body. And the same with Jairus' daughter. They were both made whole. And this is one section of one chapter of the Bible. There are a hundred thousand other examples of how faith is powerful, of how faith changes lives, of how faith transforms lives. Um, Even in history, you don't even need to look at the Bible, you can just look back in history. This week we've celebrated 50 years of memorial of Martin Luther King. He was assassinated in 1968 and this year we celebrated the 50th anniversary of that. Here was a man who gave his whole life to pursuing and pioneering in faith, believing that it was possible for people to treat one another as equals and for people to have equal rights. Faith is powerful, isn't it? 
Just the other day, I heard a simple story of faith. An, older, an elderly couple had been learning about how to listen to God's voice and about how to pray for people on the street. One day they woke up and they were, had decided they were going to give their morning to Jesus. And they prayed to Jesus and they said, what do you want me to do today? And Jesus said, I want you to go and buy a chocolate bar and I want you to go to this street and I want you to wait outside this shop and then I'll tell you who I want you to give it to. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Buying a chocolate bar is not hard. So they go and they do that and they wait and they attach a little note for their church, you know, on the back of the chocolate bar. They think, well, you know, the person we give it to, we'll give it to them and maybe they can come to church. And they just do simple faith, simple step of faith. As walking down the street, there's a man and a woman, a young man and a young woman. They're walking towards them. Bless you. And as they're walking towards um, this older couple, they, they hear Jesus say, that woman, you give that chocolate bar to that woman. And so they do. They walk up to her and they say, really sorry, like, we, we, this is kind of one of the first times we've done this, but maybe they didn't say that. I don't know if they said sorry. We probably should stop apologizing for things like that. But they went up to her and they said, we just believe that God spoke to us and that he wants you to have this chocolate bar. They didn't know, but that same day, this young woman had cried out to just the air. You know, if you're really there, if you care, if there's any point in me living anymore, let something nice happen to me today. And what happened? Jesus sent two people to buy a chocolate bar to give to her because he saw her and he heard her. And that was a simple act of faith. That was a simple step. That was a simple movement that someone took. And it was powerful. That young woman... She was going to take her own life. And yet that chocolate bar demonstrated to her there is a God who loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. He hears every single word you say. Simple acts of faith are powerful. And I am looking around this room. I don't know how many people are in this room this morning. I don't know, maybe like 70 or something. And I'm thinking, gosh, wow. Every single person here... Every single one of us that knows and loves Jesus, our faith is powerful. I'm looking around this room thinking, gosh, the potential, the potential in this room to make a difference for the kingdom of God, the potential in this room to make a difference for our neighbors, for our families, for our friends, the potential and the faith in this room. So I just want us to return real quick to where we started. What are we believing that we'll see? What are we believing that we'll see? Where do we need to start believing that we'll see something that the Lord has promised to us? Where do we need to flip the script? Knowing that faith is powerful and that miracles happen when we step out in faith. Where do we need to flip the script? And here's just a couple of things that I was thinking of as I was preparing for this morning. We may be in a place where we need to start saying some of these things. I'm believing that I'll see 21 churches planted by 2021. (laughs) Instead of, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm believing that I'll see my community transformed by the love of Jesus. I'm believing that I'll see it. I'm believing that I'll see my friend come to know Jesus. I'm believing that I'll see it. I'm believing that God has plans for me 
even if I can't see it. I'm believing that God provides for me before I even see it. It's just a couple of things. When we start to believe, our confidence starts to grow and we start to take movements and we start to see the kingdom power breaking out in our world around us. Faith is confidence. Faith is movement. Faith is powerful. I believe that there's words are for us this morning. Praise time. Stay together.